0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin? Today, you're going to meet a good friend, Benedict Herman, who is a director. That's right, a film director and an assistant director. He's done a lot of things, and you're going to hear him talk about it. You're going to notice, first of all, he's German, but his English is excellent. Uh, That's a whole other conversation that maybe we will have in the future about how so many Europeans in so many countries speak English well and so many Americans either don't speak English well or if we do, we don't have a second language. And boy, is a second language valuable all across the board. But in creative endeavors, it really is too. Because as you'll hear Benedict talk about it, English seems to be the lingua franca, and you can look that up, boys and girls, of the film industry. Um, but before I get too far into that, you don't have to understand any language to eat an Abe's muffin. All you need to understand is that if you're a parent with a kid who's got allergies, and you're looking to give them something safe, and it tastes good, and it's made, then you just have to grab Abe's muffins. That's it. If you have any questions about this podcast, about Abe's Muffins, about Benedict, about anything, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There's a place to leave me a message, and I will get back to you right away. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Director Benedict Herman. Benedict Herman, uh, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad to have you on today. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. So as I'll say in the intro, um, and as we just spoke about, I've known you for easily over 10 years, and we know each other in a deep and lovely way, but there's a lot I do not know about your story. And um, I'm hoping that I'm going to learn a lot today and also that listeners will learn a lot today. Um, as I'll tell people, you are a film director. Um, I know you mostly have been working as a uh, second director, a second unit director, and um, a lot of people won't even know what that means. So we're going to talk about that too, but I just want to start at the very beginning Uh because people will already hear you do not have an American accent. You are from Germany and right now you're speaking to me from Munich, right?
1: Correct. I'm in Munich and yes, um, because you mentioned I'm a director and, uh, and a second unit director. I, I mainly work as an a first AD, which is an assistant director. I w- worked as a director and I did some movies as a second unit director but my, my main work is as a first assistant director
0: Got it <laughs> We're gonna definitely get into what that means um, and thank you for correcting me <laughs> I'm often wrong it's amazing <laughs> or maybe not wrong
1: just I may be mis uh, giving misadvice yeah, uh, it's very complicated it's it's very specific those terms and uh, all the jobs are there are a lot of different jobs in the film industry. and and they sound very similar and and for everyone who is not in the film industry uh no one has a clue what that really means
0: yeah you know it's interesting i had heard i don't know if this is accurate but film is the most expensive art form and before that it was probably opera um and they are similar in many ways there's a lot of drama in front and behind <laughs> the scenes um and we don't necessarily have to talk about it. We might sometime. I uh, will see. Um, but to be able to work with other people is crucial in really everything. Some people think they go it alone, go it alone. But the truth is, it's it's certainly evident in filmmaking. Um, but in real life, I think it's really important that we work with other people. We support and are supported by other people. But I'm going to go way back in
1: time to where were you actually born and where'd you grow up i i'm born in germany in a small village town called wasserburg which is very lovely it's kind of medieval from the looks kind of italian medieval and close to munich so something like yeah 20 kilometers away from munich And, uh, yeah, I I grew up in a a small town between Munich and the the town where I was born, which is called Ebersberg. No one really knows it. And then I moved, when I was, after school, I moved to Munich. And I've been living there since then. Yes, and for people who've never been to Munich,
0: it is beautiful. (laughs) I guess, is that, would you call that Bavaria or... It is Bavaria, yes. And what... Uh, you know, I only started traveling to Europe and Germany specifically after I was 50 years old. And I had a lot of misconceptions about Germany and also had a lot of empty spots with not, no information. And having been kind of all over, um, I'm struck by the fact, much like the United States, there's really not one Germany. Now, I don't mean the separate East and West that we I grew up with and you probably grew up with. I don't know the time for you. But now, of course, it's all one Germany. But I also mean that in Munich, it's a very different culture, say, than Hamburg, which is very north, or Cologne, or Berlin, certainly. Um, These are four beautiful cities in their own right. But much like cities in America, they are four very different cities, even some have, it's not a different language, but Cologne, let's say, has a very different dialect where you could go to Cologne. You, a German, grew up in
1: Germany all your life.
0: You could go to Cologne and go, I have no idea what that person's saying,
1: right? That's very true. So uh, both culturally and also from the language, it's it, the, the difference is huge between, especially, let's say, Bavaria and the North is very different Uh, In Varia, the language is very close or very much connected to the Swiss language and Austrian. That is more or less like uh, also culturally one area. And and the North is, they they speak high German. They speak a a German that is comparable to a German that he would speak on on a stage as an actor, which is very clear and there are no dialects in there. And then Cologne is completely different because they they have a, a language that is not comparable to anything. <laughs> by the way, for,
0: for listeners, that was my wife in the background sneezing, if you can hear it. She has an amazing sneeze. Um, so no matter where you are in the world, you've just heard it. Congratulations. Um, also, by the way, the different places have different foods. Again, just like America, you know, Boston has seafood. Well, New York has everything because it's New York. Um, and the south has you know known for other things um my memories for munich are being in a traditional like in the beautiful i don't know if it's called the town square but it's kind of the center they have this beautiful clock where every hour these mechanical works come out and do sort of a show and sitting out there it might have been around october um it's cold out you sit outside with blankets and you drink beer and you eat they're pretzels, I don't know if you call them pretzels, but it's a very and uh, vice versa, maybe it's that white sausage. It's a very different thing say Hamburg, which by the way I found out that my half my family's from Hamburg. And the minute I, I was at the, um, it's the Elbe river right at the in Hamburg, and I went with friends on some kind of tour and I got a beer and a herring sandwich. And the minute I bit into that herring sandwich, that's a very Hamburg, I believe. I was like, my whole body was like, oh, this is where I'm from. Like, it's not not Munich at all. Although Munich's beautiful. I was like, I'm visiting Munich, but I'm from Hamburg. It's very interesting. I, I, for people who think I'm being woo-woo-woo, I, I don't care. It's just the truth. I was really connected anyway. did you go to college or school or in the munich area also
1: i when i was living uh in in a small village i went to high school there i finished high school there and then i came to, to munich basically because there are film schools and i applied for film school there and uh during the application process which takes like half a year because you have to go through different uh, interviews and everything and shoot a small, like a short movie to apply there. I um, met a couple of people who were doing students' movies and I started doing movies with them, like in different positions. And that's how I started working on movies. And then in the first year where I applied for the film school, uh, they didn't uh, take me there. Because basically, I think back then it was something like you've got 500 people that applied for 12, I think, students that they would uh, in the end take for the fictional part because it's the school in Munich has a documentary section and a section for fictional work. I love, by the way,
0: you may not have enjoyed the fact that you didn't get in your first try or there, but I love that listeners hear that because I speak. A lot on this show about how nobody has a straight line to success or even their whole life or their creative process there's no straight lines and to have your first door not open right away is not unusual people should not feel they can't do something because they didn't get into a certain school or have success all the time is that would you agree with that
1: I absolutely agree because actually it was the best that could happen to me because in the, in, I, I think everyone who starts or is interested in starting a career in the movie business uh, either wants to be in front of the camera like an actor or behind camera being a director those, those are the only things people can imagine same was for me and um, during the process that I, I didn't get on the film school on the first try I, I went to uh, through the process of uh, working on several students movies and I my whole reality shifted because I saw what different jobs there are in the movie industry that I wasn't aware of yeah you know people have no
0: idea and we're going to talk about what a first AD or director does or you know somebody just the cameraman because people th- People don't understand that sometimes directors don't even touch a camera on a whole film. Or sometimes they want to be touching the camera. It's very specific to the director, right? And then and there's can... things like grips and best boys. And yeah, you know, I was an actor for some time and I worked on a variety of projects from very big, big budget motion pictures to tiny uh independents and also commercials. And to come on a set. And see the organized chaos of like a carnival going on, (laughs) usually at like five in the morning, with lighting guys picking up giant. You're outside and you're wondering, why are we still using lighting? You know, because sometimes they are. And then holding up what looks like a small piece of foil. How could that affect anything we're doing? But it has a huge, that's just lighting. Lighting is a whole, we could talk, and I won't for the viewers and for you, we could talk for hours just about lighting probably, right? For sure. It's- and that's just one tiny piece of a film project. So so did you, while working on these projects, did you learn, oh my God, lighting is so important. Lens selection, I assume you're working with film. And by the way, that's another thing. Film selection, You know, digital has come into the world. And at first, digital came and people wanted to use it, but it had a very different look. And so it was cheap, but it looked cheap, or it it was kind of like that with audio too, where people went from reel to reel to digital recording and people were in various camps about that. And as the technology has gotten better, maybe it's merged a little. I mean, I'm sure you could speak to that, but technology is such a big part of your life even though you could argue, look just give me a super eight camera and I can make a film i
1: I, I agree with everything you say so but, but, but maybe, that's what makes you a great guest <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> oh, um, ahead, sorry yeah movie making is very complicated in, in a way and very simple in in the other way so you can do a movie with just a camera or even an iPhone nowadays and you don't have to prepare anything or you can do a movie where you have to prep the whole movie for eight months with 300 people and then start a shoot. Uh, Those are different realities of movie making but uh, it's, it's all movie making and that's basically where I And right now and where my passion is right now is doing large movies, like from a large preparation and logistic scale. And as a first AD, a first assistant director, being one of the key logistic persons in in a shoot, in the prep and in in the shoot itself. You know, what's
0: interesting for me as an American (laughs) is, um, and I think most Americans are like me in this way we're very ethnocentric we think of the world as america especially in showbiz that america drives the bus and in some ways it's accurate but there's so much art and and specifically film and television making that goes on in each of the european countries on their own or for each other so germany may do something that will also go to switzerland or austria or other german speaking places and then we do a cop show or they may do just an action or even a small relationship film that Americans almost never get to see but it doesn't mean there's not amazing stuff we're not seeing and what's happened is thanks to things like Netflix and the pandemic um, (laughs) I've been seeing more French things because my wife who you know also Holly speaks French fluently and for her practice she wanted to you know watch some French films and we'd heard or French TV shows. And so some things were recommended to us that we would never see as Americans. Um, there's a show called Call My Agent. It's all in French, and it's got all these French movie stars. And you'll, as an American, I'll go, I recognize that person from that French film we saw five years ago. And they're like huge, or or a guy like Jean Renault. Jean Renault has become an international star, so we know who he is, from the professional with Natalie Portman to, Ronan and other movies, like you, I see everything I can, by the way. So like, I just have this knowledge of films, but there's so much I don't see. It's impossible. So anyway, my point is the amazing actors on that show and the great writing are are not seen by a lot of people. And I mean, it may be, oh, well, France sees it all. You know, that's millions. But no no one in America or very few people may see it. Or another show called Lupin, Lupin which is this um, this great actor Omar Sy, who's this uh, tall black guy who's been in a lot of great French movies. He's fantastic. I don't know if any Americans even know him. So, uh, my point is, you d- does that matter to you, or are you are you totally happy? with the opportunities that have been in Germany? Have you been doing any stuff in America? I have a feeling like you have, and I just don't know. I didn't do my homework, Benedict, I'm sorry. So why don't you tell people, because I think people should really know what kind of stuff you're doing.
1: That's a good question, actually. And it all changed a lot in the last, I would say, it started 10 years ago that the whole movie business changed in Germany and Europe because, 20 years ago, nearly all productions you did in Germany were for the German market or Swiss or Austrian market. And there was nearly nothing shot in English language, for example. And that, two things changed. So a lot of things now are produced for international market, which means we we, we produce movies, we have British cast in or... American cast in, and it's a German production, but for an international market shot in English. And, and and there are other things like uh things for Netflix or other streaming networks that are produced for a local market, let's say Germany. There's one show that might be or that has become more popular all over the world, which is Dark, which was it's a German show it shot in German, uh, but it was a huge success worldwide. Was it called
0: Dark or are you described? It's called Dark.
1: Dark, Dark is the title of a, oh, it's a okay. I think a three, three did I do three seasons? I think three seasons six episodes for, for some many. reason
0: as an American I stereotypically feel like that is a great name for a German television series <laughs> <laughs> but, but what's you know what's funny by the way is a complete aside is that again I educated myself by going to Germany we have so many perceptions of what Germany is like when you don't go there and then when you go there it, all of that stuff unravels and you discover the full breadth of just the human experience like anywhere else. (laughs) I mean, what I find amazing is that Germans, well, like, take a city like Berlin. Berlin has an incredible history. And I mean that without any humor. I mean, it is a beautiful city. It is steeped with a lot of history. But there are a couple of particularly dark chapters. I don't want to dwell on it. Everybody knows, right? But what's interesting is, unlike Americans, Germans are happy to say, let's take a deep dive into this horrible situation <laughs> to the point where I almost felt like saying, guys, it's okay, we're really, can, let's just all move on. Um, whether it was like uh, parts of the Berlin Wall that are still there with memorials to people who were killed while trying to come to the West to all the stuff from you know the National Socialist era as they call it, they don't, I don't even think i went to several museums in Germany. I don't even think they use the word Nazi. They say National Socialist. And boys and girls, if you've never been to Germany, what's amazing is I was in some museum and they had a, a German warplane, and it did not have the SWAT sticker on it. It just had the place where it would be because in Germany, it's illegal to show a SWAT sticker, which I got to tell you, I never thought that that was... Mattered much until recently in America, where we now have fascists. And I'm like, yeah, we should get rid of that thing here too, just as an aside. And I, I, you know, you, this is not a political conversation, but as an artist, I'm sure that you see some of the politics of our time and must at least uh, be a little concerned or aware. Or are you just trying to keep that out of your line of sight?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very much concerned about what's happening all over the world in the last years. I think it's, it's not. It's, we can see it in the U.S. right now for sure, but we, we see it in Germany since 20 years. Again, I would say, uh, in, in Germany, it's always been on our mind, and and there are certain laws and rules that make it easier to. For example, I have certain parties that are founded that might be some Nazi parties, they can be easily forbidden. So basically, and it's also easier for the police and Secret Service to track some uh, militant groups, way easier than maybe in the US. But still we have it and and especially in, in Eastern Europe because we, we in Germany, for, for me, for example, we feel very Euro- European. It's not that we feel very German. The borders are all so close around. Also in movie making, I'm traveling a lot to other countries and shooting whole movies. For example, in the Czech Republic, I was there the last four years, I would say, nearly half of the time I was there and shooting movies. and especially Eastern Europe, it's not, the Czech Republic is one of the the easier and better states in Eastern Europe, but especially Hungary and Poland, they have a real issue with right-wing people and also with um, suppressing journalists, freedom of speech and everything. So that is happening a lot. And it's very uh, scary what is happening there.
0: Yeah, by the way, my wife and I have visited your apartment. We stayed there at least one night, I think. And um, so just keep a spot for us, God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought my family would be fleeing the US to Germany, folks. This is really, we live in strange (laughs) times. Um, But also, um, for people who don't go to Europe, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to cross borders. You know, I've been to Germany many times, and usually two... uh, in that trip I'm either coming from or going to Switzerland and once you're in the European Union you're you're in the European Union nobody cares and um when I was in Switzerland once visiting with a mutual friend uh they're like what do you want to do today I said I want to go to France I've never been to France so we'd like gotten her Volvo when we drove to France and when you enter the country it's like you're suddenly you're in France it's like no big deal um it's a very different situation by as an aside for people who don't know this or who take it for granted, your English is amazing, and I don't mean to insult you by saying that because uh, I, I know you for a long time and so I'm used to you speaking English. In fact, two quick funny stories, if I may, and then I want to ask you about your English. Um, one story is that I was in, I was either in Hamburg uh, attending a seminar that you and I were at, or I was in New York, and there were a group of my German friends together, and on a break. No, I don't think it was you specifically, but a bunch of my friends which just started speaking German to each other. And I was like, holy crap, they speak German really well. <laughs> it's like, that's right, idiot, they're German. Um, and also to give you a sense of how uh, American centric Americans are, when I was in Hamburg once, again in the seminar, I had lunch at this uh, restaurant. I speak enough German to like get a beer, go to the bathroom and get my face slapped. You know, those are the things that I can do. But they give me the menu and they said, here's the international menu. And I'm looking and there's flags on every page. You know, there's the French flag and there's the Japanese flag. And I cannot find an American flag. And I'm like, oh, crap, they gave me a faulty menu. And then one of my smart friends was no, no, no. And they pointed to the English flag. I don't speak American, I speak English. And that is the mentality of my culture. So, all right, back to you. So how did you get so great at English? Because I'd say 95% of my German friends are just great at English.
1: I think I learned English. I, I learned English at school, which was okay back then. After that, it was pretty... Good, but not as fluent as now. And uh, my wife is half American, which makes a difference. And also, uh, especially in the last year, I'm I was working. I would say ninety percent on international movies with international directors, meaning like U.S. directors or or U.S. cast or British cast, or was shooting in the U.K. or basically. And I Or shooting in, in Prague where all my assistants that I'm working with are Czech and this is our language. Where The only language we share is always English, wow. which means 90%, even when there are like eight German speakers around, there's at least one Czech guy around or one from the UK, which means you, you stick to English even on set in every conversation because you don't want to miss out on anyone. Right. And that is... I'm I'm, when I'm shooting movies I last two years ago when the pandemic started I was just shooting a movie in Munich which was the first time in the last I don't know six years and for me it was difficult to find the German words for commands on sets or equipment because I'm, I'm so used to saying the things in English that I'm rarely coming up with the German words actually. Wow. I just want to point out that
0: I have interviewed your lovely wife, who is a dear friend of mine, Sandy Seifels. And listeners, if you want to see that or listen to that episode, you can go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. All of my episodes, over 70 now, have been doing this for since the pandemic started. So two years of podcast episodes, I think, are available. There's no paywall. So you get to meet amazing people like Benedict and Sandy and others for free, at least for the moment. <laughs> See, I, I think it's going to stay free. Anyway, um, when, when you get on a set, um, you know, I, I've always just been an actor. So I've either been background or had smaller or larger parts in any of the, uh, any of the projects I've worked on. I've enjoyed watching people do their thing um, rather than just read a book or eat a sandwich because I'm just fascinated by the process. When you first started, um, I'm assuming you were like, we have this expression in America, low man on the totem pole, which as I say, it sounds a little racist, but anyway, you know, uh, (laughs) totem poles are these Native American and Inuit things. and So you you start at the bottom is basically what it, it means. And that could be production assistant, which by the way, I live in a neighborhood and I think you've been, yeah, you've been here in our home. Um, they shoot a lot of movies here cause it's pretty uh, in Brooklyn. And it could also be, It's I know for a fact we have substituted for Washington DC for a television show called The Americans, which was shot here and also for Madam Secretary. And I walk by Madam Secretary's house which is here in Brooklyn and several other places. Anyway, I see people scurrying around lowly production assistants. With a walkie-talkie screaming we're on our way you know or i'm going to get the talent or whatever they're screaming because nothing happens slowly on these sets because time is money and americans are especially crazy in my experience about that stuff um and then there's people setting up all sorts of equipment ultimately there's what they call talent uh, i made air quotes because when i first heard myself referred to his talent i thought it was fantastic I realized it's just a euphemism for cattle. It's just the living things we have to put in front of the camera. And when we don't need them, let's just put them over there and let them eat and drink out of our sight while we do the real work. I am half joking, but it's really, there is an element of that. I'm not asking you to tell us any secrets, but the truth is when you have even the best actors or actresses, Until you need them, you, you don't want them around, right? Because there's just too much other stuff to do. And I'm sure these are people with all sorts of needs. So I've worked with some famous people and it shocked me how insecure they were. Like People who are world famous have had tremendous successes and they're worried about getting fired off the project we're on, which is like made for them. have have you had that experience are you just sort of over it or are you surprised like me about how people can still be so insecure after those successes
1: I think I've seen all varieties I think I've seen people who are very secure in themselves like famous international stars and uh, they those are the nice ones because they, they're not like, they, they know what, where their place is. They know that when, when things are set up, it's not the best place to stay in the middle of the set and discuss with people. And because it's not safe because equipment is being moved around and, and whatever, and, and people have to work. Um, and they're, are super nice ones that I was really amazed how professional they are, how, how, much they understand that they are only one piece in a big puzzle and they have to be spot on in a second when it's, it's needed. Mm. Those are the really amazing ones. And I've, I've seen all the other sites like people that are super famous and they arrive on set and they, they don't even know their lines and they don't care about anyone else. So, It's humanity. I guess
0: the whole thing is that it's the same kind of cross-section that you run into in any profession
1: or anywhere. and
0: That that makes sense. Um, So let's talk about specifically, we had started this conversation about what a first assistant director, I said we'd go back to it somehow miraculously without any notes, I remembered. So why don't you, I'd love for you to educate people a little bit, if you don't mind, about the various jobs on set, especially that one.
1: So it's it's pretty easy. The, the first assistant director, there are a couple of assistant directors, depending on the scale of the movie, but the first assistant director is the logistics person that... Uh, is involved in all the communication between all the creative people that create a movie, which is not only the director, Uh, the director has several other departments as they are called that are led by an uh, HOD, which means like head of department. And that might be costumes, makeup, uh, production design, which is basically uh, uh, building up all the sets, creating all the sets, uh, picking the locations. Uh, also, props is part of production design, and and you have the DOP, which is director of photography, which is a cameraman, but he's also responsible or she for setting all the lights, lighting sets, moving camera, setting up shots, and all those people are trying to create a movie together. The the director has a vision, what what he or she wants. And there's a script and everyone reads the script, but everyone reads a different script. And that's why we talk a lot about the script in the beginning, what is meant by those lines or, and then uh, they all create like ideas, how we could do it. And basically my job is to listen to all the ideas and also read the script and then break it down into things that are that should be prepped to shoot it that things that are needed when we shoot it and um planning the whole shoot which means i i I create a, a shooting schedule where i put down every scene For a special day, I time out how long I assume the the shooting of that scene will take uh, with need. And uh, in this shooting schedule, I have tried to get in all information that is needed because basically there are locations that are not available all the time. There are cast members who are definitely not available all the time. Then some locations are very expensive some equipment is very expensive so you don't want to rent it out every week anew and all those things get mixed into the thing and then sometimes you have to shoot things in different seasons being dependent on you need to have leaves on the trees you need to have snow somewhere you don't want the leaves you want to have a cast member swimming in a lake which you don't want to do when it's like freezing I did work on
0: a movie once where people had to swim and it was very cold it was in New England and they promised I don't know they lied to the cast members they basically did it in one take uh it was a pretty famous movie Uh, and um I think the people were far colder than they let on in the scene but New England gets very cold and doesn't warm up in the summer so much Um, So you are really, in many ways, kind of a project manager. Um, There's so much logistical work you have to do.
1: Correct. Basically, in in the best world, it would be like this, that all the HODs can concentrate on their creative work. And I am trying to have everything there for every day, which they need for every scene. So they can only... The same is on the shooting days. I create with my assistants a call sheet where I call in every cast member, every extra, every equipment piece that you need during the day with different call times. And I make sure that, for example, all the cast members are going through costume and makeup on time. So they are available on set when the director needs them. And all those things are on my hands. And if I misplan, we have to wait for something which you don't want to do because as you already mentioned, time is very crucial in movie-making. It's very expensive. I'm Shooting is yeah,
0: expensive. I've been on a movie where I was just a background actor and was a very famous actor who just wasn't showing up. And I believe later it was revealed, months later, he had a significant substance abuse problem. But we were waiting. And another actor who is very funny and famous just got up and started entertaining us while we were waiting. But I could feel, I I looked around where we were. That location was a building in the Boston area that had to be rented. There had to be police and other, you know, security. So, I look at it like everybody's got a little taxi meter. If anybody's been in a taxi in New York or other places, you just see the numbers rolling and rolling. And then there's guys who drive the trucks and they're just sitting back and having coffee and they have a meter and that's going. And all the extras, because I was an extra in a very big scene, I'm saying at least maybe 150 extras. We're all getting now we're paid the lowest, but we were all in the union. So, but and everybody by the way, has paperwork for each each individual. So the people that do the paper, I mean, it just expands on and on. And that's where you can see that some people don't work as often because they're just not worth the trouble unless there's such a big draw. I mean, that that I know that's kind of beyond what you do because I don't know that you ever cast any films. That's probably, have you ever done any casting? No.
1: Only when I was directing, so basically, Scott. if I'm 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 waiting for uh, casting agents and and director and producers to give me the information about cast, and then I pass it on to the second AD who does all the communication with the agencies, which is actually my best uh, assistant that I'm working closest with is the second AD. He's doing all the communication with cast, checking them in in the mornings at. 4 a.m. in the morning, getting him into costume and makeup and all those things. And wow. he's on the base while I'm working on set the whole day. So he's my base manager in a way.
0: You must be on the phone or a walkie-talkie constantly. Or is that Definitely. for...
1: Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. The, basically, the, the, I the, there's one channel that is the first channel on the walkie-talkies. And that's the AD channel. But it's the main channel that everyone listens to. And, and basically, this is when you ever see some PAs being a lock off in a street somewhere and you hear a voice on the radio, it's the first AD, because he's getting all the orders, all the information, what's happening next, we are waiting for, we are changing camera position, it will be 20 minutes, 10 minutes, relighting, moving on to scene number, whatever, that is the first AD.
0: Yeah, and by the way, what what benedict's referring to if you live in new york or brooklyn you've definitely had this experience you're just walking to your coffee shop or whatever and some teenager with who's like wearing really bundled up because they're outside all day they have a, a little walkie-talkie and they come up to you and go i'm sorry can you just wait here for five minutes we're we're shooting and you look down the street and you see a couple of actors and a bunch of stuff happening and then they listen in their he go, okay you can go now that means the shot is over. They're going to go back to one, as we say, in the business, meaning everybody go back to the original position. You can walk, get your coffee, whatever. Uh, uh, having a lockdown on a set is basically, it means there's nobody who's not supposed to be on set. And when we say on set, um, when you're on location, that set could be a major street. It could be a park that people are used to going to. Um, it's very rare. In fact, You know, we don't see what happens in studios. I'm sure you've shot in studios, but I, it feels like the pull of the industry in TV and film is people love that realism of, oh, that's happening on that street that I go by. Like I recognize that building. Or, you know, in many ways, New York City, just speaking from my own hometown here, becomes a character in a film or a TV show like Sex in the City, or people like to see the town, you know, uh, Paris often is. Uh, I'm, you know, Berlin, I'm sure has been, and other German cities. Do you, how
1: much time do you actually spend in a studio? What percentage? It, it definitely depends on the movie, I have to say, because it depends on a movie how much money you have and what kind of movie it is. Uh, shooting in a studio is not like, it's, it is expensive because you have to build sets there, you can't use real existing sets but the 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 pros are it's very controlled you're not weather dependent you can shoot every day uh if you shoot outside and it's rain it's storm it 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 slows down work and also if you shoot let's say something like in the middle of a town square and you shoot something that is a period movie taking place in the 50s you have to lock off all the streets. You have to get rid of all the cars. You have to bring in extra cars. You have to lock off all the shops. You have to replace the shop windows with some things you put in front of them. You have to cover all the non-period windows. Right, I've seen that separate. here in my
0: neighborhood where they shot The Americans. I don't know if you're familiar with that TV show. Yes. Um, okay. Right, And so my neighborhood was Washington DC, which it's not. And they used to park a bunch of cars from the 70s on my street with Washington DC plates. And it was very strange. I didn't know until like weeks later what they were doing. I had no idea what this Americans thing was. Um, Also, I've been watching some shows recently where I know they do a lot of digital work. Now not, I mean, everybody knows about the digital superhero stuff that's done, but there are some period, especially period piece shows where um, there was a great Sherlock Holmes movie about the younger sister called Alora Holmes. I think. Somebody, it's, uh, and then uh, there's a TV show here in America called The Gilded Age where they show New York, but it's not New York. I mean, there's horse-drawn carriages and they're in these places that are wide open. And it's clear to me that these are digitally created backgrounds with very few actual live people and sort of like digital
1: stuff happening in the background. Have you done any of that? Uh, you, uh, I've, I've done a lot of like digital or CG uh, extensions of shots or full CG shots because basically wow. in the last years, uh, the, I was doing a lot of period or future things, shows or something. And in the end, um, I did one, I think six years ago, uh, a movie, it's called The Keeper, which is about a German... Uh, soccer keeper in the... or oh, Like a
0: goalie, 50s. we call them. Like a goalie in the 50s. No. And he mm-hmm. was
1: German and he was a prisoner of war, but he became very famous in the UK. And there were lots of scenes in original huge stadiums that are not existing anymore. And also uh, you stadiums like this day could easily have like a crowd of 60,000, 000, 100,000 000 extras or uh, um,
0: that would be expensive,
1: and and you can't bring in a hundred thousand extras for one shooting day. So basically, what you do is you start bringing in the most you can bring in, let's say, let's say a, a thousand, and then you replicate them. You do crowd duplications, which means either you fix the camera and then you place them in different seats and you shoot layers, and then you kind of stitch them together like in Photoshop. Or even in this case, we had one where, where we had a, a period scene of a very famous match where even the whole stadium is not existing anymore. So we built a 3D model of this of this of this stadium and we had a build of like one of the, let's say where the spectators were sitting where we could fit in 500. And we shot that element and then in the, in the post, they glued it together and created a stadium out of this. Those things happen a lot when you can't create something, when you don't have the, the period building anymore or something like that.
0: What I love about this is not just learning about the subject but it's clear to me that one of the reasons I love doing the law stuff is I'm always learning. There's no like, oh, I know all the law, and now I just do the thing that I already know. There's so much when someone will ask me, go, I have no idea, but I'll find find out, or we'll find out together, or we'll do this. And it seems to me that part of your job is like, oh, well, we've never done this before. Let's try this. Or I've done something like this before. Each project must have its own challenges, even- even the ones where you go, oh, this will be easy. There's five actors, we got this much time, I kind of know what to do. But invariably, because you're dealing with human beings and weather and other stuff, like just, you know, like the pandemic for instance, (laughs) like just things change. And um, technology, as I'd said earlier, changes. And there's advantages and disadvantages with every technological change. It's not always, it's always good. Sometimes you're like, I really wish we could just shoot this this way. I bet. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Is that accurate? You're, sh- you're saying yes, so that's good. It um, is accurate,
1: and, and uh, th- that is what is what I love about my my job is that every movie and every project is different. There are things you learn from every movie and every project, and and some you can apply to the next one. But if you start assuming that you know it all, that is basically the 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 moment when you do that. You are in trouble because you can't copy paste things from the last project to the next one, and, and there are always things happening that you never ever saw in your life. I'm I'm a first assistant director now since over twenty years, and every even if I have a small project, I experience things that I've never seen before, and 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 then there are things like COVID, like a pandemic. I you and that is a complete new thing how to shoot movies. I shot a movie last year in Prague where we had two hundred. It was a period movie, World War One, where we had two hundred fifty extras, more or less, like every day, and wow. um, we had to test all of them and the whole team three times a week, and we had to make sure that also costume and makeup didn't get infected. Because, so basically we had to attach to different groups, different people, assign them to them, don't change them to other groups. and you create admit, like a pod. You, so like, like a, if
0: something, there's some way like, God forbid, if someone gets infected, it only affects a
1: certain group of people. Correct, like a pod. And also like different security levels. The closer you get to the people where you don't, you can't shoot when you lose them for a week, like director or cast, they are very secure and no one ever gets into that bubble and and the the further it gets out. But still, you don't, you need, when you have an interior set with, let's say, 500 team and 300 cast and extras, you only need one person that is infecting everyone and then the whole movie stops, which is nothing anyone can afford. No. I I know you've been traveling a lot,
0: uh, even during the pandemic, which is sort of, I'm happy for you and I'm surprised. But I feel like, again, because I'm an American, we have a little bit of a different reality here. We have some kind of political nonsense about wearing masks and getting the shot. And I say on every show, and I'm not going to make you be involved but I tell people you need to get the shot and you need to wear a mask and take care of each other it's the responsible thing to do but and I feel like Europe I'm sure there's some outliers and lunatics I mean they're everywhere but for the most part it feels like uh, people have been more responsible in Europe which probably has let you travel more easily I know you've been in Rome and you've been in Austria Vienna I mean places by the way I need to go (laughs) And that you were lucky enough to be with your wife a couple of times in these places. Uh, That's got to be cool.
1: Yes, I I was traveling a a lot last year, but, but you're right. Most of the Europeans are very sticking to the rules, wearing masks everywhere, especially in the movie industry. It's something like from the first moment on, it, it was only a lockdown for one and a half months in Germany and also in Europe, let's say, when the pandemic started. And then everyone was coming up with different uh, measures that could make it possible to shoot again. But those measures were like everyone was wearing like masks. Everyone got tested. Uh, sometimes when you have a shoot, you isolate completely so during the shoot you don't meet anyone outside the the movie team and for example when I was shooting All Quiet on the Western Front last year in Prague we were like for for five months Prague was in a complete lockdown all everything was closed restaurants were closed everything and we were only meeting the people we were working with that that was it and when we met we all were FFP2 masks and and got tested three times a week. And we got cases. I got COVID there, but I didn't affect anyone except my wife when I traveled home. (laughs) Well, it's funny.
0: I had gotten COVID before we knew what it was in March of that first year because my wife and I went to Madrid for Valentine's Day, came back, had the worst cold ever, um, and it was different than a cold. But I was very lucky. And I feel like I was lucky not knowing what it was because my mind is definitely one that will go to the worst possible scenario. And I'd be like, should I go to the hospital? You know, I mean, I never felt like I couldn't breathe. I just felt like there was crap in my life. I was never apart from my wife, Holly, who, you know, who has some issues medically. She never got sick. Thank God. Um, it's just, it's such a strange time and such a strange illness. And you guys did okay. From what I understand, you had a couple of days where you were kind of crummy and then you, and all of us got inoculated as soon as possible, which was great. Um, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy that my friends who got sick got better. Um, and some in Germany, not just you guys, but uh, I wanna lighten this up as we get toward the end. Um, is being married to someone in the film business, um, is it great because they know what you're doing or is it not great because they know what you're doing? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, or, I mean, it, it might be different because you and Sandy are just lovely people and you've got a, a great relationship. I know you for years. I knew you before you were married. Um, and Sandy knows that I think I encouraged you guys to get married at one point. I don't know why I had the balls to do that, uh, but I I hope that it's working out. It seems to be working out. Um, now we love you guys a lot. Is it? Does it not matter because you guys just have a great relationship? Or in
1: a talk. way, does, in a way, it doesn't matter. In a way, it doesn't matter because our relationship is great, and it is great. It was great all the time, but it's it it is also great because we we learned how to live a, a relationship and be happy in that relationship, and and that's where basically. We are attending seminars, that's where we we met. And that is basically the source of this great relationship. And that is, I think if I look around in the movie industry, I would say a lot of my friends have no relationship or not very well relationships. So it's very difficult to have a relationship, an ongoing happy relationship in in the movie industry because I travel a lot. We both are working in separate places. Uh, we are freelancers, so the projects come in. Sometimes the project lasts for a year and takes us somewhere in the world. But we learned how to deal with that. We, we, we try to meet wherever we are at least every three weeks. And even if we have to take a flight and fly around the half of the world, and it's kind of crazy to do that we do it because we learned that it's very important for us. It
0: must be hard to have to go to Rome to be romantic with your wife. Uh, We all feel terrible for you. (laughs) She's a very you're both very attractive people, and to be in Rome or Vienna so that you could get together. No, all joking aside, it must you know you're in the middle of a project and you're like this is my window to hang out with you. We have this weekend or this Monday through Thursday because I'm not needed or we can't work this day. I'm I'm just grab in a train or a plane and I will see you. Um, but that's part of you being a flexible person and a flexible relationship. I just want to also mention Ariel and Shia madeeasy.com. Uh, transformationmadeeasy.com. Uh, I owe a lot to those guys and I know you guys do too. If people want to ask me about that, they can go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. Leave me a message. I'll happily put them in touch. I'm going to I've been thinking more and more about having Ariel and Shia on the show, uh, but they have such a good podcast that people could go check out. I'm not sure what the value of it would be, but I think it might be fun. I think
1: it's a great idea.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that's That may push me over the edge because I value your opinion. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up because, you know, of time and I'm going to let you go have dinner with your wife. I hope that's what's happening next. Um, is there anything you felt you wanted to talk to people about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um,
1: I, just one thing, which is also very important to me, because I've, I founded uh, two years ago, uh, a German uh, assistant director union in Germany where I'm a part of the board of the, which is also one of my passions, which is like training and teaching people to become an AD. And also something that I, I do a lot uh, to, because basically in the past, we all went like singular persons through our lives as ADs. We never talked to other ADs. We never learned from other ADs. And since we have this group, which is called the ADU, it's, uh, the ad guild germany basically Mm -hmm. uh we we meet there and we we have workshops that we provide we train people and we have a great mentoring mentee system which also works very good and i'm i i just wanted to mention that because it's a, a big part of my life which i love and that i adore and i hope that it will grow because basically, right now we have like one third of all ads and pas in Germany and that in that union, and the bigger it gets, the 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 more the stronger it gets through passing on information onto each other.
0: I believe I'm a big believer in the guilds and unions. I belong to several here in the U.S. as an actor, um, but the thing you know we have guilds here, but they're really unions. What I envy. I see a lot in Europe and especially Germany, this sense of apprenticeship. Um, In America, you either go to college or you try to get a job, and there's with few exceptions, it's not like it used to be, where you really learn how to do something well by being an apprentice. Even, you know, the German car makers are looked up to all over the world, partly because they have tremendous training and apprenticeship programs, as I understand it. Uh, When I was last in Munich, I drove by the Mercedes building. Which by the way, everyone needs to go by at christmas time because they have a automotive an outdoor automotive advent calendar where the right and 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 you it's like on the building they have these cars that you see for each day as its advent I love germany uh, i mean we can't we've been dying to travel and we keep getting stopped by things but we're gonna to get together, the four of us, and we're gonna eat a lot of food and we're gonna laugh a lot and have a good time. Um, until that happens, um, Benedict Horman, I'm so grateful that you made time to talk to me and to be on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It was such a delight
1: thanks a lot. I'm very much looking forward to coming and visiting you in New York again and having dinner together with your wife, wife. And yes, it will be it will happen in the near future, I hope. very good. Thanks a lot. It was fun. I
0: bet you learned a lot because I did too. I learned a lot about Benedict and I've known him for a long time but I also learned a lot about what being an assistant director means. Um, You don't have to know a lot to put an Abe's muffin in your mouth or the mouth of a child you love. They're allergen-free. They taste great. You can get them just about anywhere you get good food. Um, Do you like this podcast? Share it with a friend. Rate it. Um, You can do those things uh, wherever this app shows up, and it's in a lot of places, from Audible to Apple to who knows where. Um, And as always, if you have any questions or concerns or comments, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com, and I will happily respond to your messages. Um, We are coming down to the end of the pandemic, maybe. Please be kind. Please be considerate. And now it's time to also look at being politically active to make sure that our gay, lesbian, bi, trans friends um, don't lose their basic human rights. So put your money and your time and your energy in the right place for that. I will happily provide information for that stuff too. And we're going to have to talk about that stuff clearly in upcoming episodes. But until then, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.